Welcome to the Order Up Show, the operations management podcast presented by Ops Analytica. One of the coolest parts about working here at Ops Analytica is that so many of our new clients are switching to us from our competitors. And it's because we're the most technically advanced platform on the market today. And I ask them, like, what made you change? Why did you come here? And it's always basically the same story. We didn't know what we didn't know when we picked our first platform. We thought we're just going to do a couple of basic checklists, and that's all we're really going to do. And we didn't realize how addictive it would become to have real visibility, real data, real accountability, uh, just an easier way to manage our entire field organization, and how much easier it would be a corporate to go out and gather data too. And so then we start, once we figured that out, that this could be really powerful, we very quickly realized that the platform we bought, which was a basic checklist platform, wasn't capable of meeting our business needs, right? So now we're out looking at you guys. And that makes me so happy because we have built the best, most technically advanced platform in the space today so that your entire organization can benefit um, operationally from utilizing the platform and that you're gonna you're going to achieve your operational goals easier. So I invite you to just trust me that you're going to want more and come look at Ops Analytica. Check us out on a demo, opsanalytica.com. Thanks. Hey there, Order Up Show. It's Tommy. I'm back with another interview. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Bob Anderson. Bob, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing outstanding, Tommy. Thank you for having me and good morning. Right. You're very welcome. You're very welcome indeed. So, Bob, we ask the same five questions to every guest. The first question is my favorite, so let's get to it right away. Tell me what you do today, but then take me through your career progression from your first job until now. Well, today, you know, every uh, every day I get up and my feet hit the ground, you know, we're uh, we're leading uh, the Great Greek brand to be the the leading fine, fast, casual Mediterranean restaurant brand in the world. So, you know, we've assembled a team to just do that. And that's our our vision. And, and our vision is not a five, a 10 or a 20 year vision. We feel like that opportunity exists right now in the in the Mediterranean space. So. Uh, so we're excited. Our team's excited. Our whole entire company uh, is excited to, uh, you know, to achieve that mission. Um, you know, for me personally, I've been in the restaurant business going on about 25 years now. Um, I've had a, a unique career um, in the way that I like to tell people I have a 360 degree uh, viewpoint and perspective of the business. I've been a restaurant operator. I've been a franchisee multi-unit, multi-brand, um, been a master franchisee. And at the same time, I've had a, a been fortunate to have a, a really good corporate career and work for some fantastic companies. I started in the restaurant business with a, I guess they're a billion dollar pizza company today, Boston Pizza Restaurants, and helped them grow their brand here in, in the United States. Um, did that for a number of years. And uh, a great opportunity at the time was presented to me to lead um, as the president of a better burger brand um, that was uh, starting here in Dallas back when the better burgers were just starting up. It was five guys was out there. And then 
Um, Smashburger, I think, had a couple of units, and then the brand that that I launched. And you know, after a couple of years of that, I thought, you know, I think I want to go and operate my own restaurants, and and did just that. I uh, became a franchisee of a, a wood-fired rotisserie chicken brand, and did that for the next five years. Uh, and as I was doing that, I added a number of brands. We added a number of restaurants. I think we were at about seven, eight total restaurants. I was also a master franchisee of a, of a breakfast uh, uh, restaurant, which was full service. So um, I've also, you know, been in many different categories from chicken to pizza to breakfast uh, and now Mediterranean. And, and I just love this Mediterranean space. Well, as I was going through and operating my restaurants, I had a friend came in, Tommy, and he said to me, Bob, I want to introduce you to someone who could really use your help. And I stopped my friend. I said, I'm not interested. I don't have the time. My hands are full. He said, please. I said, no. Uh, and about two weeks later, he showed up with an individual and he introduced me to him. Um, his family uh, has a uh, iconic concept in a Mexican brand in Northern California. Uh, and we started talking about that brand 30 days later. I was the CEO of that company and led that brand for about four years. Uh, I commuted back and forth from Dallas uh, to Northern California. And after about four years, it, it was enough. I decided to uh, make a transition and doing so, you know, I've known Ray Titus, who is the CEO of, of UFG for about 30 years. And he was looking for someone to come in and start uh, building and assembling a team with uh, Jim Butler, who at the time was leading the food division. Um, and they were looking for someone with experience with emerging brands, but also with larger brands. So it was a perfect fit. I had worked for Ray uh, 30 years uh, or 27 years previous. So it was just a great fit for me to join a great company who has a passion for and a history for growing uh, great brands. And now they were looking to do it in the restaurant space. So I joined the company, uh, UFG and the food division. I led the division as the executive vice president. Uh, my three-year anniversary comes up here at the end of May. Um, and we assembled a, a great team and we have three brands. And, and in July, I was promoted to president of the Great Greek brand. So we can focus on the opportunities of the Great Greek. Uh, and more specifically, as I mentioned earlier, the opportunity in the Mediterranean space. Um, and so I'm excited to uh, be in the role. As I mentioned, also, we have an incredibly passionate, experienced and committed team uh, that's leading our franchise operators to uh, do some really special things in, in the business. Well, that's awesome, man. So I'm looking at uh, UFG. So they've got they're in retail signage. Um, yeah, they've got a lot of different stuff going on, but then you got John Smith subs, the great Greek, and it looks like Ray's craze, which is charcuterie boards. Correct. Yeah. The, the United franchise group ecosystem is what, what we call it has, uh, has 11 brands now from retail to business services and, uh, and now the restaurants in, in the retail space, you know, two of our brands, Sinorama and fully promoted are both uh, world leaders in, in their space. Um, in the advisory part, Transworld Business Advisor is the world leader in their space. So when I mentioned earlier, kind of a bold statement that we wanna be the leading fine fest casual Mediterranean restaurant brand, um, you know, I, I talk from a position uh, that has the support of a, of a company who has done that um, many times with other brands throughout the world. Let me tell you something, the silver lining 
of the pandemic was for the sign making people. Oh my gosh, they must have just seen insanity numbers. Yeah, it was um, it was a time that gave um, our franchisees and, and our sign business really an opportunity to go out and help. Um, you know, the business community uh, fully promoted. Our other brand did the same when it came to masks and other supplies that business needed. And more specifically to the Great Greek, I mean, we, we had, uh, you know, we were up about 25% year over year from uh, the COVID year to uh, the previous year. So, you know, I would say all the brands throughout our organization, um, we pivoted and that's what we do at UFG when challenges are in front of us, uh, we pivot. Uh, and we pivoted to find out, hey, where are those silver linings that you're talking about? Where are the opportunities? You know, we heard enough all over the news and, and the media of all the bad things, but like, where are the opportunities? Where are the good things? And that's what our brand leaders, our Ray Titus, our CEO, uh, and then our frontline teams, that's what we focused on in all the brands. And I will say we had, we had one of the best years ever, even during that pandemic year. Uh, that's great. They, um... Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I knew some guys like uh, when I used to live down in Denver, I used to be a member of the Denver Athletic Club and some of the guys on there were printers, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, they were really just getting their butts kicked for a lot of years because everything was moving digital. Everything was moving digital, right? But then, you know, everything's moving digital, but you still need like just basic stuff, right? Like signage, like stand here circles and all those things that just became that, that are just so commonplace today, like that, that like saved a bunch of printing businesses, I'm sure. Because yeah, really, really they do stuff and, and their business has been dwaning over the years, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that, that's cool. So what did you do before restaurants? Uh, you know, I, uh, out of college, I, I was an athlete in college and I played football uh, at the University of Akron. And so when I left um, college, I went into the health club industry. And so I sure. was uh, on the fast track track for health health club management with um, uh, U.S. Tennis Corporation, which was one of the largest operators at that time. And uh, so it's well on my way. And then uh, one of our members was uh, in the insurance business. So he recruited me to go and and, and join a, a large insurance company and um, did that for four years. And again, was fast tracking management and um you know it wasn't something i think in the end i was ultimately pa passionate about and then um you know i got aligned into a a company that did um uh workers compensation uh consulting and reducing injuries and workplace injuries did that for about four years and had great success but that money that company always uh they had struggles financially and, and just kind of just got rid of everyone at one point. And that's where I got introduced to uh, Ray Titus uh, at UFG. Uh, my first go around with UFG, I was uh, I was living in Atlanta. I became a regional vice president uh, for the Sinorama brand. And uh, it was that brand. And at that time that I got relocated from Atlanta to Dallas, Texas, where I live now. So uh, I left the company four years later to go pursue my passion in the restaurant business. And I kind of gave you, gave you that story already. Oh, absolutely. Cool. Well, awesome. Well, there you go. That's, that's your story from rags to riches. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of rags. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it's amazing. Like, but I think what's amazing about your story is, is that, you know, 
you came to the restaurant industry from other multi-unit uh, industries and also like, you know, insurance and, and that workers comp stuff. That's all like hard numbers. And like for so many years, the restaurant industry was missing out on the, like the really number focused people. And I think we've, we've bridged that gap, right? I think from the nineties on, it seems like, you know, people really started to go, wait, this is like a cash machine and we need to like treat it like a cash machine and not just like, you know, Hey, we make pizzas. We'll see what happens. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, and so I think that's cool that you were able to bring those experiences. Uh, cause obviously you wouldn't have been so successful if you couldn't people manage and you couldn't manage numbers. Right. So, um, but I'm sure that coming out of insurance and stuff where it's all numbers was like, okay, here's the deal. Right. But um, yeah, every, you know, every, every job along the way, you know, I would consider a stepping stone and they were all opportunities for me to learn and work on skills in different ways and get different, um, different knowledge. Um, I would say my passion for the restaurant business really comes growing up, you know, from, from my mother, not that she was in the restaurant business, but I grew up in a, an Italian immigrant family, and we're really passionate about family. We're passionate about our food. You know, every Sunday afternoon, we got together for dinner, and those were some of the great um, experiences of, of my life. And, and at my house, everyone was always welcome at our table. My mother always put a lot of love into making her food, um, and there was always plenty of great tasting food you know, for everyone to, to enjoy. And, you know, that's the same feeling we have with the great Greek. And that's why it resonates with me so much more than anything else I've done. Any other brands I've been with, this feels like home for me. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I did stand up comedy for like 10 years and uh, from like 95 to like 05. And then I went and got a grad degree and you know it's funny because i couldn't get a job out of mba school a it was like 2007 2008 so the economy was tanking right. but like everyone would look at my resume and be like well, what do we do with this guy like, he did stand-up comedy and like manage restaurants and waited tables for a decade and now he wants like man he has an mba like those things this didn't jive for like your standard hr program right. resumes right yep. but like and so people were like well this guy is obviously like insane like who does this and like, so what are we doing here? So I, I would just, I would get passed over all the time, but it's like my stand-up experience has helped me more than my MBA, you know, being able to talk to groups of people, being able to take control of a room, like all the things that you need, like so many like amazing business skills came out of that stand-up comedy, though it doesn't translate on paper, right? Yeah, but, I agree a hundred percent. I've, I, you know, I've experienced obviously with some of those same, same things as I've bounced around you know, to, to, to different places, you know, Tommy, one of the questions I, I get often from people who are candidates looking at our business, um, you know, it's what does it take to be successful in the restaurant business? And, and I always kind of chuckle to myself because I believe they're waiting for me to say, you know, you need to be in the restaurant business for 10, 20, 30 years and have all this restaurant experience and the reality is the people who do the best in the restaurant business are the people who have the best business skills leadership skills management skills they know how to lead teams how to manage teams how to coach people right they also have some financial acumen uh, yeah. as well and they're passionate about what they're doing you give me that person i can teach them how to cut lettuce how to cut tomatoes how to take orders how to grill meat how to do all those things but to have a you know, have that skill background of really working with people, but at the same time, 
you know, having that uh, servant heart is what really makes it work and come together in, in the restaurant industry. But on the same token, it makes it come together in almost any industry. Uh, so the restaurant experience is great. As I like to say that people I know in this business, I don't want to be franchise partners with. And there are people outside the restaurant business I'd love to go into business with. Well, you know, I, I've always said too, and I probably said it on the show once or twice, I'm sure. But like, if I was like looking for a manager, I would hire like, a, I would hire like a McDonald's assistant manager who was successful over like a college grad any day of the week, because that McDonald's assistant manager knows how to manage people, right? Like, and has already got that like EQ skill set. Okay, a successful McDonald's manager keep these people showing up at this high volume business. I want that guy all day. You know, I can teach him, like you said, yeah. Hey, I can teach this guy numbers. You can't teach that level of EQ, you know? Yeah, and, no, absolutely. And you know, McDonald's is, is could be the greatest training institution in the world at, at, at every level. And, and so you're right. When you, you get someone who has that kind of, skill set we uh when i operated my restaurants we did the same thing we were looking for um mcdonald's people because they could run a fast pace right yeah. so not only having the skill but having that skill to run at a at a certain pace and it's kind of the same you know things we do today in a world of you know uh of that's very difficult right now to to build teams um you know we talk about what makes you special um as a, an employer as a leader um, you know, and really working on pulling those things out to give, um, you know, potential candidates who you want to hire, give them a pathway, you know, that matches with what what their desires are. It was interesting. I went to the Colorado restaurant show like a month or two ago, and they had, uh, you know, the, all the food manufacturers are hiring restaurant guys to be consultants. Like they're trying to value add, you know, consulting, probably more for like the independents, mm -hmm. but, you know. Um, and this guy was up there and he was talking about hiring millennials and the current labor issues. And he was like, you know, 10 years ago, you interviewed employees, but he's like, now you're basically selling yourself to the employees. Yeah. This is what you get when you work here, man. You get flexibility, you get a shift meal, you know, we're going to take care of you. It's a fun place to work. Like, because the reality is, is if you don't have that mindset, you're going to be constantly understaffed, right? And then you got to deliver on it once they come to work for you. And if you can do that, then you can start to get the referrals. They'll refer their friends to come work there, you know, over time. And you can sort of build that team culture. But I thought it was such an interesting way of looking at sort of dealing with these millennials and trying to get these guys to come back to the industry and work. Um, yeah, because I mean, it's, I mean, it's it you know I, I i would i would submit that it's always been difficult in in the 25 years i've been in this business it's always been difficult to recruit hire train and maintain good people right yeah. so those those concepts which you deploy you know being an employer of choice and treating your people with respect and training them and give them a pathway um have never been more important though than they are today um and so you know i feel like uh employers like ourselves who who embrace all those things are better positioned um to get the fewer people that are out there and so you know it's something that we work on constantly what are the difference what's the pathway you know not many people come into a restaurant and they want to be either a grill cook forever or even a manager most 
people yeah. aspire to do other things and and you know with the great greek and ufg we have so many opportunities for people who can come out of our even our franchise stores and grow if they grow past the an operator uh, an operator's um you know opportunity level and that again is something that we're, we're we talk about and we make it an advantage and while it's still challenging um in the environment today we seem to be able to really get some great people um, and nurture those people and continue to grow our teams and staffs, um, even in this difficult environment. Oh, yeah, it's nuts. Um, that's really great to hear. Uh, let's throw to question number two. What is your big project or initiative that you're working on right now? Um, you know, our big, our big number one is driving sales. You know, when I say drive sales, that really means at the unit level and unit growth. And so our team is focused with our restaurant operators to drive those two elements. And, you know, that's part of, you know, our culture. Um, and with that being said, you know, we want to do it at the same time and making sure that we're improving uh, unit level economics, profits, return on investment, um, all comes along with that. But, you know, as the saying go, it always starts with something being sold. So uh, sales for sure is uh, preeminent and the number one focus of our organization um, and growing units and, and growing those unit level sales. Oh my, sorry. My, I was talking my, uh, my thing muted accidentally. Uh, are you guys focused with your franchisees and turning single unit operators into multi-unit operators, or are you just looking for single unit operators, or are you just looking for multi-unit operators and like market captains, if you will? Yeah, that's a really great question. And, and it's one that, you know, I find us approaching in a unique, but the absolutely correct way. Um, whether someone wants to do a single unit or multi-unit is not as important to us as ensuring we have the right person um, mm -hmm. that we're going to, you know, enter into a franchise uh, agreement with. Um, and so that's where we focus most of um, our recruiting energies to make sure we have the right individual who share the same uh, values, the same principles um, as the brand, as UFG. Um, we want to make sure they're capable, um, you know, obviously financially to be able to execute um, at all those levels. Um, and is there a good culture fit? Uh, and, and I think I mentioned some of those points before. Do they have a passion for the brand and our food? Uh, we make everything scratch in our kitchens every day. Uh, everything's made fresh. We use the highest quality ingredients and we want um, franchise operators who are passionate about delivering that type of high level food um, experience. So it all starts there for us and ensuring we have that fit and then if it makes sense to do one unit or or 20 units or 25 units, then we start those discussions. And and we have franchise operators who have 25 units, 20 units. We have some that have, you know, 18, five. Uh, and then we have uh, a few single operators as well. And they're all fine. And we we cherish all those relationships with each one of those. Sure. So let me ask you this. How do you screen? Do you have them do personality tests or like Rorschach? Not Rorschach, but, you know. Like those, what was that thing that everyone used to do like in the 80s? It was like, uh, you know what I'm talking about where you get like, uh, you're an R2 or yeah, whatever that thing is. 
do you do that kind of like screening or is it just through the interview process? Yeah, we're, uh, I would say in that front, we prefer the, a little bit of the, the old school uh, approach. Candidates who are looking at the Great Greek brand or any other UFG brands meet um, with our person, you know, our people a number of times, whether it's a, it's a development coordinator. To, we have regional vice presidents. I think we have 25 of them throughout the U.S., maybe 45 throughout the country. Uh, that meet with individuals locally. So we get a, a personal face-to-face -face, um, interview with those people and they go through the process and they probably, you know, while they're there finding out about us, we're also finding out about them and they probably end up meeting somewhere between 10 to 15 people in our company, including Ray Titus, our CEO. He meets every candidate before, you know, we sign a, a, sign a franchise. Uh, agreement. So we start there and do a lot of those interviews. Our team's very skilled at that. And then we also look at their their background and their history um, and their success, whether it's a career or business, you know, where they're in a position where they're leading people, developing leadership skills, coaching skills, building teams, financial acumen, as we mentioned um, earlier. And then we kind of take it from there. We don't do uh, we don't do any testing um you know on that individual because you know if you look through the history of business success comes from all different types all different backgrounds all different personalities um and we just feel like the personal interview and making sure there's a culture fit uh, and passion for the business seems to be the best indicator for us well and i mean you know the reality is is the testing is an expedient way to go through things you guys are putting in the time if you're going to meet with 10 or 15 people before they sign up including Ray, the CEO of the company, then you guys are investing quite a bit of time and energy, you know, and hopefully, you know, you, you'll, with that time, you'll see cracks if the person's not a right fit for you and you can go, Hey, you know, this probably isn't going to work. Maybe go to Subway or something else. Absolutely. And it's, and it's a dual effect, right? It's also for their benefit. You know, they get to meet across our company, different people, um, so they can see the consistencies of who we are culturally sure. um, and then the type of people we have, the experience level we have and how we can, you know, how we can support them and, and whatever, again, whatever brand um, they're in. So our particular brand at the Great Greek, um, you know, we spend a lot of time and, and, and money in assembling just a, a very experienced team. Um, and so, uh, it's the best process and, and, and it, and it pans out, um, always to be, you know, the best indicators, how do we get along in those meetings and how those questions are, are answered. And it's been, a like I said, over the 35 years, UFG has been, uh, been doing this. It's been, uh, it's been a system that's worked extremely well. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Question number three, uh, what is the one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night? Whoa. I mean, I would say there's probably nothing keeps me up at night. Uh, I sleep, uh, I sleep very good, but I would say the things, you know, that our team is really, um, keeping our eye on and are not sure which way it's going is what's really happening with inflation, uh, supply chain. Um, and not just, um, you know, I want to say labor, but I don't mean labor at the restaurants. You know, a lot of the inflation is is being brought on by labor shortages in other industries such as trucking, uh, manufacturing, 
um, time uh, timelines are, are spread out even longer. So it's the things that are outside of our control is that uh, always concerns us the most. Uh, the things that are inside our control, you know, we will uh, handle and address those pretty well. So, you know, what's going to happen with inflation next um, and how we might adjust, as you know, you know, as restaurant operators, we pass some of those uh, uh, costs on to the consumer, but we can't pass all those costs. So ultimately, you know, it does affect, um, you know, the restaurant's profitabilities. You know, our number one goal is to maintain that customer uh, experience that we set out as a brand, right? Is to have great, um, you know, food experience of the highest degree and service experience. So while many other brands are maybe reducing portion size, going to less quality, um, items, you know, the great Greek is committed to deliver the exact same experience we did prior to inflationary times. And so, you know, for us, it's, uh, you know, the unknown of that is probably most concerning. You know, talking about reducing portion size and which I totally understand, right? Like, uh, you know, if your food costs went from 30% to 50%, all of a sudden, you know, you have to do something, you can either raise your prices, or you can reduce portion size, um, or you can start putting more lips and butts and everything, and you know, <laughs> or the quality of the ingredients. And yeah. I remember, like in 08, and I, I, you know, I remember going to certain restaurants where they had optimized the heck out of the menu um, from a food cost perspective, injecting more fat, more gelatin, more everything. And, um, I just remember leaving them like I remember just eating out during that period. I just always felt sick after I left restaurants. Like, you know, like it's not all restaurants, but like there was definitely a couple of brands that we were going to. And I just remember going, man, every time I eat here now, I just my tummy feels upset. And I know that when I worked at Quiznos, when I worked at Quiznos right after the like 5,000 mark, like I came in right after that beginning of the 2008 and I had no clue. I knew nothing about Quiznos other than it was a Denver sandwich chain. Like I, you know, I didn't know the politics or what was going to become of it, whatever. But I remember working there and like, you know, they would tell me all these food distributors were constantly coming in going, Hey, we can save like three cents a pound on Turkey or whatever. And they were just injecting more gunk into the meat. Right. Yes. And, uh, and so like, I applaud you guys for not doing that because like, that's an easy way to like, really damage your brand because people start going to your restaurant they just don't feel good afterwards because and what it is is it, it's like everything in the restaurant industry it's very rarely one thing that screws you up it's the combination of all the little things kind of stacked the sum of the parts ends up being greater than the whole so like if you're like you know let's use a burger as an example all of a sudden you get a cheaper bun you get like 70 percent meat versus like 80 or 90% meat, get a little bit cheaper American cheese, a little bit cheaper mayo, you know, and you just keep, you know, and each one of them has just been optimized for a penny or two here or there. But all of a sudden on the course of that burger, you know, everything's been so optimized that all of a sudden, you know, you, you've destroyed what you originally had. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, and I agree a hundred percent. And I think Tommy, it goes back to, you know, what are the principles of the brand? And, yeah. you know, being part of United Franchise Group, it always starts with that. What are our principles? What do we value? Um, and and it is always um, the customer, 
you know our, our the the mission statement for ufg is you know our customer is our franchisee the better they do the better we do and every brand lives that from our franchisee our franchise operator to the consumer yeah and so you know for for us it's roll up your sleeves get to work figure out how we can um develop better relationships in the supply chain negotiate better contracts do things that are advantageous not just for our operators and the brand but ultimately to the consumer our guests that at the restaurant we know they want value and their value is they want to have a very high service level experience and a very high food level experience uh, and we're committed to deliver that and we're not going to waver from that one bit it's just it's a little bit more challenging but that's okay as i tell my team that's why you get paid the big bucks is to step up to that challenge so we can deliver an outstanding experience to that guest that separates for us from all the other you know me too brands so let me ask you this question um how do you how do you put the franchisee first can you give me an example of that yeah i mean when we're um so just kind of what we were what we were talking about is um you know negotiating in in the supply chain and so we're really you know trying to put deals together that are advantageous you know to our operators and it's not always price right it might be you know service it might be getting a certain type of product to a certain area in the distribution chain that's difficult and some of the markets you know that we operate in we only have one restaurant actually many of them because we're launching in a lot of new markets so we're making sure that you know not only are we handling that price side but also the availability of, of product the responsiveness of um our vendors not just to us but to our franchise operators and, and their management team so everything we do is from their viewpoint um you know we talked about today you know it used to be when we launched a restaurant in a market we just we did a grand opening marketing launch right and we still do that and, and we do a great job at it but now we find ourselves we have two launches we have a a, a conservative launch to um identify um and uh, attract uh, employees and team members for those restaurants right so nice. we're putting programs together that will assist them in attracting people that they'd have the opportunity to hire um, and give them an advantage over um other other really great brands that are out there as you know there are some fantastic uh restaurant brands that that exist and you know we have to compete with them uh as well and we do compete with them um very good a lot of people like the way we approach the business they like the principles we stand for um they like the mediterranean uh hospitality so to speak so we align with a lot of individuals principles now it's just putting that marketing out there to attract those people so hopefully that gives you kind of an example flavor of how we're thinking about the business from the viewpoint of a, a franchise operator well, and I always had to point this kind of stuff out because a lot of the listeners of the show are, are like corporate restaurant guys and corporate restaurant guys in a lot of cases are, you know, they might get sick of, you know, they're, they're doing their corporate job and they're like, man, I'm killing myself. I wish, and I'm not getting, you know, I'm making all the money for corporate. I want to go get my own restaurant. Like if you're going to be in the restaurant business and you're going to be an operator, eventually, you know, you probably want to own some stores, man, like take your talents and go, 
make yourself a fortune, you know, like, yeah. like go grow. And, you know, having worked at Quiznos, which like the big, like if you ask why Quiznos failed, right, which you didn't, but I'm going to tell you anyway, <laughs> uh, it's because one, they grew during the, they, their locations were, the rents on their locations were too high because they did their bulk of their growth just happened to coincide with the real estate bubble. So they were paying four or five, six thousand dollars for some of these spots, right? But the but the unit level economics weren't there, and it was because at some point at Quiznos, growth and selling the company became more important than the franchisee, right? And they're not the only franchisor. Look at I M Burger, whatever that guy like skipped the country and took off on everyone's money, right? Yeah. Like, uh, and we had an I M Burger right next to my barber shop, and the guy and we ate there once. It was nice, and I went back like a month later. The guys like permanently close, right? Like we're done. So um, the not all franchisors are like a lot of franchisors are just looking out for the franchisor. Quiznos was like ultimate example of that, right? And if you're going to investigate a franchise opportunity, which I think makes a ton of sense for a good operator, a good franchise or partner and a good franchise system is the easiest way for a great operator to go out there and start accumulating locations and really making their mark and, and, and getting their own business going. But you gotta be aware of, does the, the franchisor, if the franchisor wins and the franchisee loses, then there is a misalignment of incentive, right? And the franchisor should only win when the franchisee wins and if you can find a franchisor that does that, and it sounds like you guys are trying to build that, you're, that's what you're doing, then that's the kind of organization you want to be in, right? And, and it, that's more important to me than the concept. That's more important to me than the marketing. That's more important to me than, you know, all the other BS is having that alignment. Because if that alignment's not there, then you're doomed from the beginning. We, everybody can tweak a recipe, do a little bit better at marketing. You can do more local store marketing. But if you can't, if you don't have that alignment where you guys win together, then it, you'll, you're ultimately going to end up losing. So that's my little Yeah, you make, you know, you make some, some really, really great points. And, and I believe all those points, you know, are true. And they're, you know, those are our items and subjects that we uh, deal with every day and embrace them, you know, every day. And, and ultimately it is a balancing act of all those items, right? For, you know, the great Greek, we're really in a unique position, right? Because we're part of a, a, a much bigger company and ecosystem that has, you know, the ability to support, you know, uh, us with developing a, a really great team and has the resources, you know, to do that. And people need to understand that when they're looking at an emerging, franchise brand so you know our focus is as i mentioned before is you know the better our franchisees do the better we do that usually means the more money they make the more restaurants they want to open uh, and you can see how that 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 wheel turns and and historically when you look at the restaurant industry and great brands that have grown sustainably whether they were a corporate model or a franchise model it came down to that they really drove really great unit sales yep. that turned into very good profits and return on investment that turned into more investment in additional locations. And so that's exactly what 
you know, our company and our team focus on is on, but it is, is balancing, you know, we need to be a healthy uh, brand and company and we need our franchisees to operate healthy um, units that serve the customers. Yeah. Well, and you, you also said something there that I, I want to touch on and you said it a little bit earlier, but you know, yeah, it's challenging, but we have a great team of people and that's why you get paid the big bucks, right? And that's one thing too, I want to point out there to people who are, are joining a franchise system. You want the franchisor to go out and spend a ton of money and get the best people in the industry at corporate because when things get bad, if your franchisor isn't able to react and to get you the things that you need and to do and to pivot and to change and to react quickly, you know, it's like we're all passengers on the same giant ship, right? And if the captain's asleep at the wheel and his crew's not doing a good job, then you're titanicing into an iceberg, right? But like, you know, if you have a great team there, you know, and then, and you know, there are things that the franchisor has to do to attract a great team. They have to have good bennies. They got to have good salaries. They got to do all those other things, right. To get the right people. in, so that you have the talent at the top because you, in a franchise organization, you need like the, the, the crew of the ship, the corporate guys, they've got to be the best uh, because you know, we're all hooked ourselves to this ship. Right. And we put a lot of money. Everybody's put a lot of skin in the game and a lot of money. And, you know, if you, if you navigate the brand incorrectly, it's really hard to come back. You know what I mean? You get to a certain tipping point and it, you're looking at a 10 year climb and it'll, you know what I mean? Like Quizlet, the best sandwiches, the best. They, everybody said between Quiznos and Subway, which were the two big brands in the 2000s for sandwiches, they were, Quiznos by far was more delicious. I mean, they had great bread, great everything. And they just ran that thing in the ground, you know, and destroyed it. And they took a lot of people down with them. You know what I mean? And, and they didn't have super talented people there. When I got there, the CEO had run, I mean, the, the people there were huge, but, but it didn't matter because at that point we had already crossed the tipping point like yeah. it was so bad it, you, no amount of talented people could write you know you know the captain of the titanic was i'm sure a very good captain you know what i mean like yeah you didn't no, get you're, right. you're, you're but, absolutely right and, and i mentioned earlier in my introduction i mean i come from a, a team sport background where i feel you know football is is maybe the one you know number one uh, team element and there are a lot of similarities between playing football and being in the in the restaurant you know the restaurant business there's an old you know there's a saying out there that many of your listeners uh, i'm sure have have heard tommy and it's a it's a bad system will beat good people every time but when you put together good people in a good system wow. that's where really special things you know start to happen and that's what what we're doing at, at the Great Greek. We have great systems from organizationally to operationally at the restaurant to marketing, um, all those types of things. We have great people executing those systems and, and we're at the beginning of doing something really special with this brand. Well, and I will say too, that great systems um, make mediocre managers better, right? 
Like, because so much of the restaurant industry for like the first 50 years, like when I say 50 years, I kind of look at McDonald's, right? Like prior to McDonald's and Hot Shop and like uh, whatever the other one was, Hojo, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there weren't chain restaurants. You just had your local independent family that owned a restaurant or two in your area. And, and that was it. And then McDonald's obviously became the, the leader in systems. And then, you know, other people filed, brands grew, whatever. But like, you know, at the beginning and even like in the 80s and 90s, when I started, like, you know, it was so much about the talented manager because we didn't have the system. So we needed like these insanity managers, which were impossible. They've always been impossible to find. Right. You know, if you look at every restaurant manager in the world and we use the Pareto principle, 20 percent of them are amazing and 80 percent like needs some like development and, and more coaching and work. But you great, great systems and you can take people that can execute the systems and the system makes them better. And obviously I'm a operations, like I believe in operations management, like we have an operations management system. That's what we sell as our company. But like, so when I hear you talk about systems, it just makes me so happy because like, we've got to have them like, like, and this is my sort of big point in today's world is that the way of managing a brand and the way of managing a restaurant, the status quo, what we all grew up doing, you know, you've been in the restaurant industry for 25 years, like that, that old status quo way of doing things is, is going away. The technology is just pushing us too fast. And there's just too much of data available now that you like, if you, you can't ignore it, you have to use it to make the best decisions possible. And, you know, yeah, everything's granular now, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and if you can't uh, still have a big vision, but adjust to what are the granular realities of, of the business, then that's where, that's where, you know, I believe some brands and some businesses will have, you know, their challenges, you know, recently, you know, I, last week, I believe it was, we were in uh, Phoenix for the restaurant leadership conference and the keynote speaker was Bill Belichick. And, and, you know, talk about someone who's put together a successful system yeah. and, and a big part of that system is identifying the right person and talent to put in each piece. So it's not just about having a great system as we talked about. It's also about what we talked about earlier, being able to identify what is the right type of person to put in this specific role that they can be um, successful in. And I think that's really the key of driving a really great brand is being able to identify who are the right people who not just meet the culture, but also uh, can play a specific role um, on a granular way and do it better than anyone else. And, and that's something that we model and we take a lot of pride in all our brands at UFG and specifically at the Great Greek. Sure. You're going to Belichick, like in talking about that system, like, you know, he's always been known as the guy that can like look at the numbers of a player and go, this guy's got to go. This is the guy we need. And I remember like it was probably 10 years ago, he released Wes Welker after, you know, how many Super Bowls did they win Brady and Welker win? And I remember thinking, who releases Wes Welker because the Broncos got him and I'm a Broncos fan. I'm like, this yeah. guy's nuts. But then he knew Gronkowski was coming and he was like, okay, I got a Gronk. So I don't need a Welker anymore, you know? Yeah. But like that decision on paper, 99% of the people would not have made because this was the guy who had brought you to so many Super Bowls at that time by like two or three in a very short period of time. But then, you know, he looked at the numbers and he made a decision. I thought that was such a, 
that kind of solidified. Okay, this guy's. You know, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of less there's a lot of lessons there, and, and as I mentioned, I find football and the restaurant industry have so many so many similarities, and um, you know, again, we embrace that we don't have great people on our team who are passionate that are put in a specific role to be successful uh, and are successful. Well, and you know, another one, and and also I know we're coming up on our time here, but you know, another one is uh, you know in football like a hundred things have to go right to get the ball to go 10 yards. You know what I mean? Like everyone's got a block. We had to anticipate where these guys were coming We like our, our offensive line anticipated that what their defense was going to do. This guy had to run and turn at the exact second. The guy had to throw it perfectly. And that's very similar to running a rush in a restaurant. A hundred individuals all have to do their exact thing correctly so that, or not a hundred, but you know what I mean? A bunch of individuals have to go. At the, at the, Tommy, it's funny you say that. At the Great Greek, we've identified 356 items that have to come together for one guest to have a great experience. And that has to be able to be repeated over and over and over and over again. And so you're wow. you're, you're spot on. And, and it's, uh, you know, there are a lot of, lot of parallels. And the other thing is whether you scored a touchdown or you got sacked for 20 yards, next play. And that's another yep. philosophy we take on, let's get on to the next play, whether we had great success or we failed on this one, you know, let's get after the next customer with the same passion, same enthusiasm asm, and same, um, uh, same principle to execute flawlessly. Yeah. Well, and that's true too. Cause I remember when I was managing at PF Chang's, I always felt like the, like the universe, like, oh, what is it called? It's the Peter principle or whatever, but like, the universe would come together and they would just like, it would magically pick one customer and be like, you're the de designated a-hole for tonight's dinner and everything bad is going to happen to you and nothing else bad is going to happen to anyone else. It's almost yeah. like, you know, the finger of God came down and tapped you on the head and all of a sudden now you got like a rubber band in your food. Your order was cooked wrong. Someone spilled something in your lap. And it's like, and I remember as a manager, you're there like trying to console the person. You're giving them comps like, oh my gosh, we're so sorry. We'll pay for the cleaning, you know? And it was like, but like, yeah, but then you got to walk away from that table and you got to go to the next table who didn't have any of that bad happen to them and make sure they're happy too. Right. And keep the thing moving. Exactly. So it is, it's funny. Exactly. Yeah, and it's momentum too, right? Like you can see the momentum ripple through the restaurant, just like you can see it on a football field. Oh, there are a lot of analogies, man. Exactly. You do this for 20 exactly. minutes. Um, okay. So we, we've only got a couple minutes left. So I want to get the next two questions in. What is the one thing you thought your industry would be doing right now that it isn't? Our industry, the restaurant industry. Yeah, I think um, hmm. that's that's a really good that's a really good question. Uh, you know, to me, I think the I think we would have more more progress on the delivery front on disrupting the disruptors. Sure. And, and, you know, you see Domino's does, you know, this ad that I always find interesting um, about even supporting other restaurants, even if it's not Domino's. Um, and and I just feel like, you know, the industry hasn't come together to disrupt the, the disruptors. There's a lot. I, I think the consumer, I feel like, is now realizing that they're paying a premium, an ultra premium, let's call it, yeah. um, for a delivery service. And I feel like that pendulum's coming back our way i think uh you know i know our brand um 
is already started initiatives on, you know, what can we do to disrupt those disrupt disruptors to make it a better environment for our consumers and for our operators. Um, I, I, I I'm surprised there's not more noise um, in that area. I, I kind of, I would agree. And I think probably what happened was delivery saved everybody's bacon during COVID. So people are probably, and also because now they made it really easy to just to crank your prices up. But I'll give you an example as a Greek restaurant. So like I live in Highlands Ranch, Colorado, south of Denver. I got like a place called Biblos, which is just like a, they have two or three units. They're a Greek place. They're like, I can walk to them from my yeah. house. Like, you know, it's whatever, like half a mile. And I, I went to order through Chow Now on their website and they wanted $19 for a, a gyro sandwich on the delivery site. And, and so I think, you know, everyone's just passed that cost on to the, to the consumer, right? If you're yeah. going to get your 30 cents. I'm surprised no one's come out and like, and looked at, cause you know, so much of SaaS and what we do like in our industry and in tech, right? Is about doing a million transactions cause doing a million transactions or a hundred transactions. It doesn't cost you like incrementally anything more, right? right? Once the software is built, you can just, it's just RAM and hard drive space at that point. Yeah. So like, I'm surprised no one's come out and figured out a delivery model where the bulk of the money, the tip, and a bulk of the money that's actually earned from the fee, right? The delivery fee goes to the driver. So you have drivers and just try to do, a, just try to get like a buck for whatever the the, the, uh, the the platform is or 50 cents, but try to do that a billion times, right? Like versus right. trying to get 10 bucks, like being greedy. But the other point is, is that all those guys are VC backed. So, you know, those VCs aren't just sitting around going, yeah, we don't want like a 20X return. They're going, you know, we're, we're good with a 3% return. They're not. They Those guys, you know, they're beholden to those VCs to get them the biggest numbers. But you're right. There's it, This is right for a, someone to come in, pay the drivers a lot so you have drivers and just try to get a little bit per transaction, you know? Yeah, there's, a, there's, there's definitely a, a conflict you know, where a tech company is just after a transaction, restaurant companies after, you know, an experience. That's how we look at it. Actually, you know, our brand is testing something similar to what you spoke of. Not exactly, but we're doing a, a small test, you know, to see how, you know, see how we can change that landscape for us, whether it's exactly what we're testing. I don't know, but I think it's the right thing to start looking at what are the opportunities there? You know, how can we have success? How can we deliver a better experience to our customer? Because we do know that many times those third party um, companies are falling short in the experience for the customer. And that affects us, too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I mean, so I have two more questions for you. One, because you mentioned this. Do you uh, do you guys utilize a operations management system that you're using to kind of coordinate the field teams and the stores uh, as one of the systems that you're currently using? Just out of curiosity. Uh, we have a management system that we track, you know, our, you know, our communications versus our strategy, you know, every every franchise location we have a plan for operationally marketing wise. Um, so we do have a management system that we work within um, to make sure that, you know, that we're accomplishing everything that we set out to do and providing, you know, the type of support that we need to do to our franchise system. 
Nice. All right, cool. Um, awesome. Okay, so we're sort of doing our last story right now, our last story, our last question. Uh, give us a war story, Bob. Something that's cringeworthy or funny or just I can't believe we got through it. One of those deals. Could be from any time in your history. Um, I mean, obviously, we're just coming out of a, a time with with COVID. And I would say, you know, at any time during my, my career, um, you know, it was, it was a very fearful, um, time for a whole team. And, you know, it felt like, uh, you know, in that mid March, uh, I think it was the third week of March was like really a, a gut punch to everyone. And the unknown was very, very scary. It was scary for, you know, our company, it was scary for the brand, for our franchise operators. And I know, you know, our customers and vendors, you know, as well. So, so for me, that was, uh, you know, when I talk about war stories, it's, you know, those conversations that we had immediate following that, not knowing what was going to happen, but banding together as a team and really just start, you know, talking about, you know, what are the strategies we can deploy um, off-premise wise for our, uh, for our system. And that's what, you know, that's what our team, you know, went about. So for me, I've been fortunate. I don't have any really horrible war stories, but that there was a four week period during COVID. Um, that was a lot of, a lot of soul searching, a lot of, uh, gut wrenching moments that we pulled through. And, and I think I mentioned earlier, we had a, we ended up with a tremendous year as people, you know, even though restaurants were closed in many states and they weren't allowed to dine in, we were able to make a really quick pivot to provide off-premise sales. And that's going to make us a much better brand um, today. And so for us, being able to pivot to curbside, uh, better executing delivery, uh, enhanced catering programs, and then bringing in technology um, that that were all part of some of our initiatives. They just got accelerated a lot faster. Um, to me, that's that's probably the greatest war story that I've been in is that those first four weeks of after COVID were absolutely terrifying. Oh man, they were the worst. And I mean, we're our software, like our customer base is probably like 95% restaurants. So I remember the same thing, just sitting there going, uh, this is not great. Um, but we, we were very blessed. I got to say, like, you know, we only lost two customers during COVID and they were a movie theater chain and a large event management company that manages like, you know, big arenas and stuff. Those were the only two that kind of went away and they had already luckily for us prepaid for the year. So they just didn't renew in 21 because yeah. they were still shut down at that point. Yep. And so they were like, well, what are we? Why do we need operations software when you know we're not operating? So, <laughs> um, but you know, and I I kind of accredit that too, just in our world because our customers are on the cutting edge and they are systems driven. And they, you know, I got some wonderful quotes from some of our clients about how we help them pivot because we it made it easy for them to communicate and change procedures and do things. So, yeah, that that was a scary, scary time, and I hope we all never have to go through it again. Uh, I, I I agree, and it, it's never been more important than today that um, you know executives in the restaurant business support you know our policymakers who um, stand for the types of uh, policies that benefit small business and the restaurant business, and and hopefully if we've learned anything out of that besides how to operate better. 
um, is that uh, how important policy is to uh, the health of the restaurant industry. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you could argue, depending on where you live, these lockdowns went way too long. Absolutely. And, and I would say they were very political. And I don't, I don't like to show political, but, you know, it didn't make sense when, you know, a lot of this wasn't driven by data. And there are a lot of people that got hurt because people were trying to make a point. And it's like, come on, man. Absolutely. There are You're a lot of people's dreams right now to make a point. No doubt. We, we were fortunate with the type of business we have in our footprint and our model of, of food execution. But as you know, there are many people in our industry who had bigger footprints, sit down, dine in, bars were just decimated and it should, you know, it should have never been, it should have never happened. And so my hope is, again, that the lesson for our industry is not only just for ourselves, but encourage others, whether it's family, friends, to get out and support the people who support the policies, not just for the restaurant business, but for small business uh, yeah. in general. Well, yeah, and I, and I always ask this question, like, what is the NRA, like, I know the NRA does stuff, not the National Rifle, the National Restaurant. And like, I know they do stuff. They have a lot of money. They're out lobbying all the time. But like I get thousand emails from these guys a day and I never get an email saying this is what we're actually working on. You know what I mean? Like, but I mean, I think they probably did work really hard to get some of these um, the restaurant, you know, money stuff. Yeah, I do believe they do. And I believe they do really good work. I, what I'm what I'm really talking about is really taking it more down to the local, sure. you know, the local and state level. I know they're very active on the national level, but you know, I, I'm in Texas and we have restaurants in Texas. We have restaurants in Florida, but we also have restaurants in California. We have restaurants in Michigan and the environment were completely different. And oh, so yeah. we're able to see, you know, like many uh, restaurant chains, what the different environments were and what they did um, because of the different policies they had. And so you know, again, I think it's really important now that we've gone through that experience that people educate themselves and educate the people around them to help, you know, support, you know, the policies that support small business and the restaurant industry in general. It's just for me, it's just, it's good for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Bob, this was a great conversation, man. I appreciate us going over. I, I'm sorry that we went over a few minutes, but I really enjoyed having you on. And I will put on the Great Greeks uh, website uh, on the show notes. Um, is there anything else you want to promote real quick before I let you go? Oh, just get out and uh, if you live in a market that has a Great Greek or if one's coming to you, we'd love for you all to get out and try our, uh, our amazing food and experience the hospitality of uh, our amazing team. And so uh, I appreciate the time. I really enjoyed uh, the insights and the dialogue and appreciate you let me share a little bit about myself and, and especially UFG and, and the Great Greek brand. So thank you very much, Tommy. Uh, you're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, to the listeners out there, we will have more episodes soon.